Well, excuse the Cheeto squash every now and then while I'm up here. <laughs> you know, uh, we mentioned that I've only been married about a, a little over a year now, and I'm learning a lot of things about marriage and about relationships and about communication. How many of you are married out here? All right. Well, I'm learning. And one of the things I'm learning is that there is a difference between being there and being there. You know what I'm saying? Being what I would call there, there. Many times we'll be in the house and, and Lindsay will be talking to me and she'll just stop and she'll, she'll, she'll just stop talking and she'll go, I'm just going to wait for you to come in here because I might be in the kitchen or around the corner uh, in the bathroom or whatever. And she'll go, I'm just going to wait for you to come in here. So I'll come in there and then she'll keep talking and then she'll go, are you listening to me? So I'll put down the remote and, or close the laptop and I'll look at her and then she'll keep talking and then she'll go, do you hear what I'm saying? And I'm looking at her, I'm sitting there. She goes, I just need you to say something. I need a verbal affirmation here. She needs me to go, mm-hmm, okay, well, all right. She wants me to connect in that way. And for me, communication is all about whether or not you heard it or not. And so many times she'll say, are you listening to me? And real quick in my head, I go, I'll just play this rewind. It's like a DVR in my head. And I'll rewind it and go, what did she just say? And I'll try to spout it out just to prove I was listening. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? What I've learned is there's a difference between just being there, present, and being there, there, engaged, in tune, emotionally connecting with the situation. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever questioned whether or not God was there. I'm not talking about his existence, but, but have you ever asked yourself the question, God, are you really there? Are you there there? Are you connected? Are you in tune with my heart and with my life? If you're like me, you've asked that question from time to time. I thought a lot about this this week, and I realized that a, a lot of the reason we question God's existence is because or not his existence, his presence, is because, well, we tend to define his presence based on our human perceptions. We, we often will, will look to God and, and, and expect God to behave like a human being, like our spouse or, or someone in our life. When I pray, I expect God to, to get back with me, just like an email or a text. God, if you just get back with me by the end of the day, we're good. We're good. We often define God's presence on our feelings. Well, if I'm not feeling those warm fuzzies, if I'm not feeling goosebumps in the worship, if, if I just don't feel like he's there, you know, that, that joy, that peace, or whatever feeling I'm after, then maybe he's not there. Maybe he, he, he's disconnected from me. Sometimes we, we, we define God's presence by our circumstances. You know, if God is there, then life is good. But when life is bad, obviously God has turned out the lights and left the building. He is not active and engaged in my life. And we define his presence based on what we're going through in, in our lives. So often, we define God's presence in our lives, whether or not he is here, whether or not he is there, involved in our life, we define it by our human perceptions rather than the truth. Of scripture. So let's talk about 
what the Bible says about his presence, what the Bible says about whether or not he is there or not. I want to take you through a quick survey of several scriptures that speak to God's presence. First of all, Psalm 90 says this, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What this teaches us is that God has always been there. God is self-existent in and of himself. He is not dependent on anyone or anything to be there. He has always been there. We look at Psalm 139. I love this, these verses. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Spirit, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. What this teaches us is that we can, can't go anywhere without God being there. He is omnipresent. That means that he has the capacity to be everywhere at once. Unlike any other created being out there, God is omnipresent. He is always there, anywhere we are. We look at at Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. What we see is that we were created with a longing and a desire to be in his presence to be in fellowship, to be engaged with God. Jump on to to Acts 17. When talking about God's plan for your life and for mine and him unfolding um, where we are and where we live and what we're doing in our life, here's what it says. It says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, what it's saying is that we have a longing for God and he needs us to pursue him, to reach out to him. And you know what? He's not far away because he's there. And we are dependent on his presence. We are dependent on him for our very lives. If you look at Genesis 3.8, the garden, God's ultimate picture of, of his relationship with man before it was tainted with sin we, we, we read here that, that then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It was, it was normal for God to come to the garden and to walk and talk and to be in the presence of his creation. Yet sin changed all of that. And sin created a chasm and a problem between us and God, and no longer could God be in the presence of sin. And so there, the man and woman were thrown out of the garden, and God had to establish another way to be in our presence and to have fellowship with us. And so he created the sacrificial system where people had to sacrifice an animal. Someone had to die and pay the price for that sin to restore relationship with God. And he built the temple And in the temple was a holy of holies, a special place where the Ark of the Covenant resided, where God's presence resided. He always made a point that his people would know where he was, that they could look to that place, that that was where the presence of God was. We push through in God's redemptive plan to continue this this relationship with us, to ultimately be in our presence It it, it continues, and we see it culminating in the life of Jesus. 
Jesus. I love the passage. Um, my notes go. Matthew one twenty three says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ultimately, God wanted to be with us in such a profound way that he gave his son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live among us, to be with us in a physical way. He gave his life, the ultimate sacrifice, to pay for our sins so that we could be restored to him and have that relationship with him. And when he left this earth, he gave his spirit. Again, God making a way for us to be in his presence. And his spirit was given to us so that when we enter into a relationship with him, when we commit our lives to Christ, when we invite him into our lives, the spirit of God comes to dwell in us and we become now the temple of God, the place for God to dwell. We look at, at um, 1 Corinthians 3.14. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Think about that. There is no, no more intimate relationship that has ever been created than God to live in me. And scripture says, I'm also living in him. The most intimate of relationships. That is God's plan. That is his goal for us to be in his presence. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. We are promised that we, when we enter in a relationship with him, we will be in his presence for all of eternity and nothing can change that. What we see through all of the scripture is that God is a God that doesn't hide. God is a God who longs to be in our presence and loves to, to, to make a way for us to be in his presence. He is a God who is there. And I'm not saying just present, just existent, but he is a God who is there, there. When we are struggling and we're questioning whether or not God is there, you know what? The question really isn't, God, are you there? What I've learned in my life is, the question is really, am I there? Are you there? Are you connected? Are you engaged with his presence yourself? See, all too often, we have a tendency in our lives to, to just kind of start going through life and, and we begin to just disregard God. We say, you know what? That's good and everything, but I, I'm too busy right now to God to do that. I know I need to spend more time with my family, and, and I know I need to get some things right in my life, but, but God, I'll do that later, and we just disregard him. Then other times, we just diss him. I mean, we, we just turn our back on him, and we say, you know what? I'm hurt. I'm alone. I'm not feeling it. I know this will satisfy. I'm going to indulge in that and that, and I'm going to do my own thing, and we fall into sin, and we just diss God. Then there are times we're just so distracted. We're chasing the family and the kids and soccer and ballet, and I've got work stuff, and I've got to go to this function, and they want me here at church for this, and we just get so involved and so busy that we just, we just get so distracted that we just, we totally, we couldn't even see God or hear God if we wanted to because there's just too much noise in our lives, and we get distracted. Maybe you can relate to this. Some of us are just so disappointed. Life's just not happened the way we thought it should happen. 
And our circumstances are so bad that we're just so disappointed in God. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. Maybe I'll just, I'll just turn my back and just, you know, put him over there because I'm too mad. I'm too angry. I'm too bitter. And that's where we place God in our lives. No wonder we don't sense his presence. No wonder we don't hear his voice. We've been so distracted and disappointed and we've dissed him, we've fallen into sin and we disregarded him in so many ways and that's the place that he has in our lives. But I don't know about you. (laughs) That's not where I want God. I'm dependent on him. The scripture tells me that I have a longing deep within me to be in fellowship with my creator and that he longs to be in fellowship with me. And I've learned that life away from God is no life at all. You see, what we really need is we need God to be at the forefront of our lives. We need to give him that seat of honor. And I have learned this, that if I'm going to experience and sense and know the presence of God in my life, then it flows out of pursuing a faith-filled relationship with him. Experiencing the presence of God flows out of experiencing a faith-filled relationship with him no matter what I'm going through. Now, what does that what does that what does that feel like? What does that begin to look like? Well, it begins, well, let me show you a picture of what this looks like right here. There's a photo, there's a picture. There we go, there we go, there we go. Isn't that beautiful? I bet you thought I was going to show like some stained glass, some really, you know, ethereal looking thing, and then you got me holding up a coffee mug. Well, experiencing a faith-filled, pursuing a faith-filled relationship with God, for me, looks like this. You see, it begins with personal worship. Now, what does that mean? Because that does sound very, very spiritual, doesn't it? Well, for me, here's how I pursue God, and I've learned my own system of how I like to pursue God. It begins in the morning. Look at the hair. I've got some major bedhead going on there, and I love coffee. So I get my coffee mug, and that's the couch that I love to sit on because it's so comfortable. And I sit on that couch in the office, and I get my Bible. You can see it there. And I get my journal. I have my computer. I like to play Pandora.com and play a little worship music, just kind of fill the air with that. And then that is the place that I sit down and I meet with God. And what I typically do is I'll begin to pray, and, and before I go, God, give me this, and I need this, and this is wrong, and all those things, I just... I just acknowledge God for who he is. God, you're big. You're bigger than I am. Thank you for this. Thank you for moving in my life. And, just, and I just kind of place myself in his presence uh, and kind of see myself in light of who he really is. Then I like to, to get my Bible, and, and then I'll begin to, to read passages or scripture that I'm working on or I'm studying, and I'll read that. I like to get my journal. And, and I, for me, journaling is a great option. I like to write out my prayers or maybe just what I'm feeling or thinking. And what I've found is as I begin to just take that time with him there in my office in the morning with bedhead, that a lot of times that is the times that God meets with me. 
So often when I'm in that process, he'll show me something in my life that, that I didn't realize. He'll kind of open my eyes to something. Or maybe he'll give me a, a, just a specific thought or something that I needed to know and to hear. Sometimes it's not great. Sometimes it's not a walk in the park. Sometimes it's a deep conviction for something I've done wrong and I find myself on my knees broken before God. Sometimes in these moments, he'll give me just a real peace or an excitement or just a joy that he seeds in my heart when I get along with him. And sometimes I don't feel a thing, but I still know that he's there. Because that's the truth of Scripture. And I know that he is in these words and that I can always walk away with the truth of Scripture to guide and to direct my life. And what I found is when I pursue him in personal worship like that, when I take that time, then it reframes my mind and it gives me the clarity and the focus I need. And as I walk through the day, I'm aware of his presence I begin to see his hand in a lot more, uh, more profound way because I'm focused. I'm not distracted. I'm not dissing him. I'm not disregarding him. I'm focused on him, and I begin to see his presence moving and acting in, in my life. And it all begins when we take that time for personal worship in our lives. Now, one of the things I talked about earlier was feelings. A lot of times we define God's presence by what we feel, right? We want to feel his presence. You know, feelings are kind of a funny thing, aren't they? When we think about it, feelings are kind of, kind of fickle at times. I mean, they're great. God created them. He put them in you. But they can also lead us astray. So often we, we get so wrapped up in, 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 our, in our feelings and what we feel, our disappointment, our anger, our rejection, our depression, that, that we allow these things to take root in us. And they begin to drive us and to drive our decisions and choices and, and causing us to, to fall into sin or to just to spew venom over everybody else and, and make it your fault because I'm going through this and th- your fault. And we play the victim card and, and we just get into this really ugly spot all because we feel these things and we question God because of our feelings. Well, here's a marker of spiritual maturity. Something, if you are a believer and you've accepted Christ into your life, something that you're going to have to come to terms with. And that is, at some point in our lives, we're going to have to learn to bust through some of these feelings and to act on truth and not emotion and not feeling because we can't always trust those feelings. For me in my life, what I've learned is that there are times in that, in that quiet time when I'm sitting down in his presence uh, that I have to immerse myself in the truth of Scripture. I have a, a Rolodex here of uh, note cards of, of verses. You can see it's kind of falling apart here. But what I've done is, is there are several times when I'm reading, there's a verse that strikes out at me that speaks to something I'm going through in my life, maybe a promise of God. And there are times when I'm feeling those emotions and I'm feeling distracted, I'm feeling broken or whatever it is I'm going through, that I have to sit down and I just have to read these passages. He showed us you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I just let things like that absorb into my heart and mind. And then the best I can, I get up 
and I walk forward in that truth and not in the feelings that I've experienced. One of the ways I've had to apply this in my life was, we talked about getting married. Well, I, I didn't get married till I was 41. So I spent my entire adult life practically as a single adult. Now, at first, in my 20s, that was pretty cool. I mean, I was blowing and going and having a good time. It was like I was in the cast of friends. I mean, I was, I don't know who I was, but we had all kinds of activity and single money and traveling and doing stuff. It was good. And it was great until people started getting married. And then you turn 30. And then you turn 35. And then you turn 40. And those emotions and those lies of the evil ones start to, to come your way and you, you start to deal with, with rejection or, or, or feelings of, of inferiority or insecurity. And, and not only that, I was a pastor on staff at a big church, so I had to do all this in the public eye and all the jeers and all the, oh, the single singles pastor. and Oh, when are you going to get married? Surely in that big church you could find one person, you know, and you just go through all of these things, you know. You're always the single guy at the family functions with all the family, you know. So it was not a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember times where those feelings were almost overwhelming, and I had to, to sit down and try to remind myself of God's truth and walk forward in truth rather than feeling. I remember one specific time. I had just broken up with another girlfriend. And, um, you know, you're going, wow, when is it ever going to happen? And, and for whatever reason, staying home on a Friday night by yourself was like the cardinal sin of singleness. You know, you never wanted to be that guy. And so I was home alone on a Friday night nothing to do. Everyone seemed to be busy and things going on. And I started feeling just kind of lonely. And you start feeling a little bit like, what's my life worth? You know, maybe I should just get out of ministry. And you just, you just go through all of this battery of thoughts and feelings. And you're like, maybe I should get back with her. You know, all it takes is one lonely Friday night. You could have been dating Satan's bride and she looks good to you then. And you're ready to get back with them, you know. And so you go through all these things. And then I remembered what God had been teaching me about walking in truth and not feeling. And so I began to think back through some of these scriptures and remind myself of what God says about me and what is true. And so I felt like God was just saying, you know what? The wise thing to do here, the right thing to do here is to leave. Just don't stay at home. Go to Starbucks and read. So I didn't feel like it. The last thing I felt like doing was sitting in Starbucks all by myself, watching all these dating couples come in for their little after-dinner coffee, you know. And so I go up there, and I sit down at Starbucks, and I begin to read. And I was reading, and then I looked up, and a buddy of mine walks in. And so he comes in, and he sits down, and we start talking, and and then we decided, well, let's go get something to eat. So we went and got something to eat. And next thing you know, we ran into a couple of other people. And we had dinner, and then we ended up back at Starbucks and sitting outside with three or four people just laughing and talking and having a good time. And my feelings and everything about what was going on completely changed from where I was just hours ago. And what I learned through that experience is that feelings can, can lead us astray. And that we've got to learn to bust through those feelings and walk forward in obedience. Just do the next right thing. And when we do that, we will experience God's presence. And those feelings will begin to align with truth. But it's not easy. 
But if we're going to grow in our faith and we're going to experience God in dramatic ways, we've got to to learn to walk in truth and not the feelings and the emotions that want to lead us astray. Now, I know that there are people in here that you're going through some tough stuff. I mean, your circumstances are pretty, pretty, pretty bad. What I've learned in my life is that we go through seasons in our lives. And that if we're going to experience God's presence, if we're going to pursue a faith-filled relationship with him, then we do have to have faith. And that when we go through these seasons of life, God is going to call us to different types of faith. There are times where my faith is easy. I mean, good things are happening. It's like God is blessing me and happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. It's just a great thing. It's easy to believe God and have faith in him then. But when we go through those dark days and those trials, sometimes all we can do is just sit down in God's presence and hold on and just grin and bear it and just hold on in faith. I don't understand it. I don't understand why some people seem to be so blessed and have life so easy and others, it's just so hard and so difficult. And you know why? Because I'm not God. And I can't expect God to move and act like I would expect someone else in my life because I don't have his mind. And I don't view what is just, what is fair, what is right with the same mindset and the same vantage point that God does. But I have faith. And no matter what I'm going through and what my circumstance is, I have faith to know that he's still there, that his presence is there, And that if I will hold on in faith, he will do what he wants to do and needs to do in my life. I love this passage in James 2.4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we hold on in faith and we believe and trust in truth that no matter what we're going through, God is there, he will do his perfect work and he will grow you and and form you into his image. And you will begin to see his presence in your life in ways you never dreamed possible. Truth is, God is there. As we talk, he is Shema, the Lord is there. And not only is he there, he is there, there. But the question is, where are you? Are you there? Are you actively pursuing a faith-filled relationship with him? Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that, that, that we are not a people that have to struggle to to find you and to see you and and that you have made your presence known, that you have placed your spirit within the heart of believers that we can know and, and see and feel you every day, Lord. Thank you for that. And I pray that each one of us would seek you and find you in our lives. This morning, there may be someone here that maybe you've 
have wondered about the presence of God. And, and maybe he has been wooing you and drawing you to this place. And now is your time to meet him and to enter into his presence. You know, all you have to do is simply say to him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. Come into my life and take control. Take the driver's seat of my life. Take the head seat of my life. That's all you have to say. It's all you have to pray. And at that point, he will come to dwell and to live within you. Lord, I just pray that you'd help all of us to have the determination and the faith we need to pursue you each and every day. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.